Welcome to The Sleeper and the Bust. This is episode number 169, dudes. And uh, we are closing in on the end of the regular season (laughs) with streamer options galore and things like that uh, really probably taking priority or precedence in your lineup decisions, especially for those of you still in head-to-head league. So your daily lineups and things like that, this is it for those of you uh, in weekly leagues. Well... Uh, the chips will fall where they may, and I hope you're not screwed because of it. I want to uh, get to some some exciting news in the world of uh, Eno's fandom. Uh, it has been confirmed that Terry Collins will be returning for the 2015 season. Uh, but <laughs> uh, And that fall is kind of on the heels of this came out as, I guess you could call it a rumor that pretty much had a lot of backing that the Mets were, and they pretty much wrapped up. Now it's confirmed that they have wrapped up a three-year extension with GM Sandy Alderson. It's, they had already picked up his option for 2015 and basically that's replacing that. So he's barring some other development will be with the team through 2015 or I'm sorry, 2017. Uh, And basically I'm just, you know, I'm interested from a long-term fantasy perspective for those in keeper leagues or dynasty leagues. Like obviously what the Mets have done with their pitching is fantastic has Alderson kind of put a stamp on the team besi- with anything besides that? And a lot of the pitching talent was kind of already in place before he arrived. So is it, it's it's hard to say that any of this work is necessarily his. You know, is this kind of an endorsement of what he has done without him actually having done anything? Or is there a reason to think that uh, there's, you know, there's going to be kind of more hope in the future and that he has kind of added to uh, what the Mets already have in place? What do you think? It is a good point that a lot of the pitchers that are up now were uh, Omar Minaya's. But um, it's kind of hard to give Omar Minaya credit for someone like Jake DeGrom, right. who came in as sort of a shortstop with an arm and left the farm system you know, with three fully formed pitches that are excellent. So on some level, they've definitely shored up, I think, the minor league development process. That's a great point. That's uh, great. And that was something that they – called a priority going in and there are things that you can see about how they teach hitting and, and pitching that are different in the minors than they were before uh patience is more of a priority things like that so yes some of these guys were drafted by other guys uh by other uh the other front office uh but no i think he's has put some of some sort of a stamp on the development process and uh i would also say that you know the the signings and the trades, those are the other two places that you would uh, you would look at to evaluate a, a GM, I guess. And it's it's hard to say that he's been terrible at those things. It's hard to say that he's been great. I think the I think the Cologne signing is pretty much just average. He is who he th- who he was supposed to be. He's useful. He's not great. The thing that's a little bit tough about it is that Cologne is now a ten million dollar fifth starter. Uh, on a team that could use $10 million elsewhere. Mm-hmm. So let's see what he does. He, he might have to trade him. He, you know, Daniel Murphy uh, trade is in the future probably. And so that will be a big part of how I see him going forward because I really didn't like that he didn't trade away Jose Reyes on time. Um, I think I thought it was, it, was a, it was very obvious that Jose Reyes wasn't going to resign. They should have gotten value for him. They probably could have gotten something nice. 
Uh, instead, they kept him for a shot at a batting average round. <laughs> Not so exciting. So uh, I didn't really like that one. And the Granderson signing, you know, I was actually more positive about it than a lot of people. So, it was an understandable, you know, uh, an understandable signing, I think. Yeah, but, you know, it's still unclear how much meddling the ownership does. Mm-hmm. From what I've heard, there was some meddling in the Jose Reyes situation, and that if you asked Sandy Allison in in an honest moment, he would tell you that he wanted to trade away uh, Jose Reyes. So, you know, I think that you look at what he did with R.A. Dickey, um, and you see that, and with Marlon Byrd, and you see that he is fully aware that, you know, it's good to trade away assets in in the lost years. (laughs) So, um, you know, the race thing might have been, you know, let's sell a couple more seats, let's win a batting average crown, let's keep him around, uh, even if we don't re-sign him. Um, so you never know how much ownership medals, and, and if any ownership medals in a poor, in a bad way, it's this one. Uh, I mean, it, this is a, a terrible ownership group that has done terrible things with their own finances. Previous leaders in the league uh-huh. were Baltimore. <laughs> yeah. The Mets seem to have kind of taken that. Uh, yeah, the Wilpons, or, or you know, in, in uh, Frank McCourt territory. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, the, the Wilpons deserve um, to be ridiculed, and they deserve to be pushed out of baseball, I think. But uh, they've got friends in high places, and uh, they're going to stick around. Yeah, I, I mean, it's worth noting, it's a good point. I think Alderson comes from stints with franchises that have emphasized more fundamentally sound approaches that that tend to be uh, in greater buckets uh, for success, such as getting on base, like you said, like plate patience, uh, things like that, uh, such as, I mean, he was president uh, in the uh, San Diego front office and uh, has worked also with Oakland. I mean, that's there's there's some evidence that he, he definitely understands the process and the importance of it. And uh, I mean, overall, it definitely seems like a more positive direction like you said, particularly with player development, I think that's an important point. Uh, the only thing I can think of that's a negative there is, uh, like, uh, which I don't know how much control uh, he has of that, or uh, how much uh, how much other out, outside events have affected that. But the relationship with AAA Las Vegas is not ideal for any team. Um, yeah, I wonder if they just backed into that because it was cheap or something. But um, or if the Blue know, they, Jays they, beat they, them to that, the punch. Yeah, something happened there. A little little uh, game of musical chairs that ended up with the, the Mets in the uh, in the third seat or without a seat. Um, so um, yeah, that that wasn't a great move. It might have actually helped Noah Syndergaard yeah. develop his changeup um, in in a weird roundabout way, but I doubt that that they were doing that on purpose. Right. I think it's it seems like it's a place uh, that can only really help elite talent type players. Anything below that. It's a it's a very likely screw there. Yeah, it's a very likely hindrance to development, uh, or elite type pitchers, I guess, or um, <laughs> borderline hitting prospects, I guess. If you're looking for some reason to give them a little bit of confidence. Um, anyway, uh, Atlanta is also they fired Frank Wren. Uh, that pretty much came down a little bit unexpectedly. It's interesting that they took hold of that or initiated that process with a, a week left in the season, uh, but a lot of reasons given for that. And they want to start the process to get into what, where they're going to go next. Uh, and, and, and a lot of this, you could probably put a lot of the blame on this situation kind of squarely on what happens 
you know, I mean, Ren has probably done some, he's done some good things. He's done some questionable things. The BJ Upton signing is probably pretty much like, and I guess reading into what I've seen or read on the tubes uh, is that he, you know, there's, there's evidence or there, there was some reason to think that he had a lot of meddling in, Hey, let's continue to play Upton. We're paying this guy a lot of money kind of thing when he's clearly not helping the team. And so maybe that's what got him axed suddenly. But, uh, the, yeah. <laughs> I mean, we'll have to watch and see if Upton stopped playing after he got axed. But, uh, well, I mean, I guess here only in the recent, or in near, uh, only in recent times has that really kind of, I mean, Upton's playing time is, I guess, truly dwindled to where he's kind of an every other day player, it seems like. Uh, but it's, I, I don't, yeah, and I don't know if there's actually any truth to that. I think ultimately what, I mean, I guess the point is, is if we're looking at this team as a, it's a disappointment in a number of ways. Fantasy value, it's it's really tough to, to. I mean, obviously, it's always it it, it will continue to probably to be probably a, a decent source of pitching help. But the the strikeouts in that lineup, I mean, it's it's also a good pitching matchup, uh, even if they actually are scoring runs, because you never know when that's going to go down the tubes, uh, and that's and they've certainly gone down the tubes in a lot of ways. Um, you know, they, they, they're an interesting team because they, they think a lot about uh, – they, they do give some um, love to scouts. Um, even in an interview with Coppolella, who might be the next GM. He seems uh, like a bright guy. Yeah, even in that interview, he admitted that if it came down to scouts versus the numbers, they might choose the scouts, especially on defense, just because the numbers aren't uh, so great or so you know strong yet in terms of – being true uh, indicators of true talent, so you know they do. They are a little bit scouty. Uh, they don't make they don't uh, make as uh, crazy decisions as maybe a, you know the Phillies um, in terms of in terms of sort of keeping an eye on the age of their team, keeping an eye on the future as well as the present. They've been pretty good at that, I think. I mean, they've been pretty good for a mm-hmm. while. And they've managed to stay relevant through different cycles of, of players, you know. And I think what they've done is basically, um, you know, put a focus on years of control, trade for guys like Upton who have many years of control yet, pre for free agency guys. The trade for Justin Upton, I think, was amazing. That was a really good trade. Yes. Um, yeah, it's interesting and... that like Ren's if, if Ren's evaluation is based on the BJ Upton sign, it's like, hey, you know what? For every good Upton, he, for every bad Upton he brought in, he also brought in a good one. <laughs> Let's not, you know, I've... it wasn't all that bad, and they really killed it in terms of drafting. They really killed it in in Georgia, and they had a lot of guys on that team that that grew up in Georgia. I mean, Jason Hayward was is just the most uh, most obvious example of that, but um, you know, they definitely. They definitely did some good things when it kind of came to drafting and finding a guy like Alex Wood, um, who, you know, if you watch him, you think, oh, that guy's arm's going to fall off. But you draft him anyway, and it turns out he's a major leaguer. So, you know, there's uh, there's some things that they've done that's really good. You'll have to admit some of the worst free agent signings of the last five years. I mean, the Dan Ugla idea was terrible. I thought at the yeah. time. And as much as I thought B.J. Upton would would have a okay baseline as a defensive center fielder, yeah. you know, I thought he could probably put up two wins just as a defensive center fielder with a you know slightly below average bat. I didn't expect it to crater this badly. Um, that one, in retrospect, looks pretty bad. So. I was I was definitely not in, as as far as the franchise was concerned. I mean, I was definitely not 
a fan of that deal for the Braves. Uh, I mean, I thought I thought overall this this has the potential to tank, but I didn't think it was going to, like I really didn't think that that was a likelihood, but just that this was not going to be by any means a profitable player for them. And I mean, it it definitely turned out worse than I expected. <laughs> so I mean, I, I I guess I mean I guess you could say like nobody expected it to go this badly. Uh, even right. though I, I mean I think it was a possibility, but not something I would have by any means put in like a, you know, beyond like a one or two percent, beyond like a five percent chance of happening. Really, I, what to me what's interesting about that, you know, just from like a baseball big picture perspective, was how much like. With, at the press conference when they announced, uh, basically, or like when they brought out the, you know, the the longtime major minds of the Atlanta organization to kind of have this press conference to feel questions about their decision to let go of Wren and announce their search for, you know, a guy who would kind of bring back the Braves away is like Wren grew up in the organization. I mean, he was, he basically, for the most part, seemed to kind of emulate the Braves way to some degree to me. And it seemed like all the people they brought in, including like John Hart, who was, I mean, he was biding his time. He was, you know, he was, he was on uh, the MLB network. <laughs> like he wasn't even necessarily a huge part of this, like, but there's Hart, Sureholes and Tom, uh, Bobby Cox. And they talk about how Freddie Gonzalez is, you know, or at least as far as Cox is concerned, which probably has to do at least a great deal probably I, I would speculate would be their relationship but anyway it's like there's this huge intervention of ba of Braves minds almost like and it's like is this is this really like the Braves haven't been terrible they've been disappointing um, yeah I mean there were 96 wins last year and if you projected them for next year I think you'd probably go above 500 again and that's before they make any moves so I, I think it's like it, it, it does seem a little drastic, but they did fall out of uh, out of contention pretty hard. Yeah. And well, uh, to me, maybe there's something that they're seeing when they're watching the game that they really don't yeah, like. Yeah, I guess that's – I mean, I, I can certainly understand the move. It's just like – I think like the feel that I got from it, and I don't know how else to describe it, but the feel I got from it from bringing all these people in and had, saying – like when you see a guy let go, there's like, hey, there's a short presser, and there's like, hey, you know, we decided to go in a different direction, and I'll answer your questions about why that is and da da da, da. And it's like – they got three major figures in the history of that organization, like two, including two of them who are like iconic. Like they're going to be considered the best guys, at least in the modern era, in Shoreholes and and Cox, to have led that franchise on their respective levels. And it's I, I get, it's like I got the feel that like uh, we totally want to distance ourselves from Ren. And I guess I just I don't know. It was like he was t you know I don't know I don't, I don't know. It, it felt like they're that whole ceremony of the thing was like a lot more drastic than, and maybe that, maybe that alone was like a reflection of how badly they tanked uh, in September, but, or it was like their response to it, I guess. But it just, it seemed like over the top to me, considering that like overall the body of the work isn't, isn't terrible. It's not like they were like, uh, well, maybe it's related to the park. Maybe they want ah, to make sure that true. They're, they're trying to signal to their, to their fan base like this will not be tolerated and we're working on this as hard as we can. We want to give you a good team for that new park yeah. or whatever. Yeah. I mean, it did seem there was, I mean, there was some kind of PR tie in to the whole. Yeah, yeah. you're right. Anyway, um, it's interesting. It'll be interesting to see what happens there and uh, good luck to them again on trying to trade BJ Upton this winter. 
some some quick newsy things. Edison Volquez uh, proclaims that he is interested in re-signing with Pittsburgh. Of course, that's there's a long way, a long way, and besides just a month and a half uh, away from that uh, being even on the table, uh, he also says that he would like a multi-year deal, and it's not necessarily clear that Pittsburgh would be willing to do something like that because they seem to have a knack for rediscovering these scrappy pitchers and figuring out what's wrong with them. Uh, so. Well, on some level, you know, you have to you have to think that there's some framing love going on here, yeah. Because there's not a real drastic change in um, any of his his uh, pitch selection metrics. I mean, maybe he threw a, a few more sinkers with them and a little bit uh, fewer curveballs. I mean, that that is, I guess, uh, a Pits- the Pittsburgh way, the pirate way is is uh, all about the sinkers. So. You know, uh, you know, add a couple sinkers, subtract a couple curveballs, which don't usually find the zone, um, and give him a good framer. And we kind of were, wondered what his walk rate would be going into the season. I mean, we're, this is a guy who had a walk rate of almost over 12 going into the season, and uh, this season he had a 9% walk rate, very close to league average. So, um, you know, not a 9% walk rate. <laughs> I'm not signed in. Where's my dashboard? Arr, arr. Uh, <laughs> it's next. It's right uh, next it to the like pirates. It's right next huh? to the pirates. Arr. nine percent. It's about nine yeah, percent. It's eight point nine. Yeah, so that's about league average, and that's the first time he's done that as a major leaguer. I think. I mean, to me, the strikes. Basically, Volquez. My big picture. My big picture reaction to Volquez is. I, I mean, I think the. The Pirates have a, a knack for this. They have a, I mean, it's kind of, it's it's pseudo rate Tampa Bay Raisian in the sense that they, they're pretty good at diagnosing some pitchers or some types of pitchers, I guess, and figuring out what can make them more effective. And it doesn't hurt that they play in a big ballpark uh, in the National League. Yeah. That also, yeah. I think, factors in. But he did come from the Padres, and in the Padres right. he had a, a four ERA, a 1.5 whip, and a five walks per nine. Right, so. and that's an organization that has had some success uh, in the past doing kind of similar things, but I think Pittsburgh has taken it to a new level. Um, so I think like, it's like, to me, I would be interested next year in a, I don't want to say a repeat, but in him still being like a bottom yeah, of barrel pitcher. I think if he's back in Pittsburgh, I think he could do something similar or a li- maybe a little worse. If, but yeah, I think Pittsburgh is going to say, we'll give you a year and seven. And million. he won't want that. <laughs> yeah. It, Especially since he's 31. Right. Uh, this is his best season. He's going to try and turn this into something. But um, I don't know if, if people will give it to him. I mean, he just the, the, is so far out of whack with what he's done in the rest of his career. I mean, his career ERA is still 4.47, even after the most inning, second most innings of his career with the best ERA of his career. So, But he did have, he had a, in 2008, he had a good season with the Reds. I forgot about that one. I predict that it will be the Phillies who will sign this guy, and it will be it will be two or th- it'll be like three years, twenty four million, or three years, twenty seven million, and and his home run per fly ball rate will jump back. It up will to 12%. it will double, and his walk rate will be back around yeah uh, the same thing. It'll be around back around yeah. the same thing, eleven percent, twelve percent. Yeah. So that is that is. Uh, all I have to say about editing focus and <laughs> <laughs> Dan Heron. Uh, his 2015 player option for $10 million uh, triggered with his start last night, which is a pretty good start against the Giants, uh, two runs and seven innings, I believe. 
Uh, he was crossed the 100 inning pitch, 180 innings pitched threshold. And so as long as he's willing to exercise his $10 million player option for next season, uh, I guess the question is, is, I mean, it seems I get, is, is a team going to be willing to give him multiple years or more than $10 million for a year? Nah, he's gonna right. Get, that's, he's that's what say. I think. And so I guess that's really the only way you can remain fantasy interested because he might be a source of wins, right? <laughs> I mean, he's, yeah. I mean, he's a deep league guy. At least he still doesn't walk anymore. Yeah, if you, if, uh, if like homers per nine, he's not a great points guy. A lot of points systems um, really hit you hard for homers per nine. Mm-hmm. And even in uh, an okay park in a, in a pitcher's uh, division, in a pitcher's league, he's going to give up too many homers. But, I mean, it's amazing. He has uh, immaculate control. Uh, an okay splitter and an okay cutter, and that's Dan Heron. Um, and uh, he's made it work, and he's turning 35. I think he'll just take this. He'll he might get hurt or something next year, and um, and uh, or they'll just put him on the DL because he's not you know pitching that well, and then maybe he gets one more deal if that. Yeah, that's that's. I think that's a pretty fair way to look at Heron. Uh, he's he's not he's not the most interesting guy anymore, but uh, he's he's kind of there to get the job done in very deep, in deep leagues at least. Uh, really nice guy for what it's worth, true. and and, and sabermetrically inclined, and definitely uh, is working hardest to get the most out of his out of his stuff. But I mean, uh, he's down to eighty seven point seven, and you know in the late season a little bit lower, so. I think I think you know if he if he struggles to average eighty seven on a fastball next year, it, you know he he's starting to throw forty percent cutters. He's starting to throw more cutters than fastballs, and you know that means he'll be you know sitting eighty seven with a fastball, and most of his pitches will be going eighty five. Yikes! So I think on at some point that magic uh, goes away. When you're down to eighty seven point seven, you're running out of room on the FM dial. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, and uh, those are pitchers that are actually still around for us, uh, and, and it doesn't hurt for those te- for their teams, especially that they are uh, tunneling toward playoff positions. Uh, teams that are not, um, and uh, pitchers that are falling, dropping like flies, include Jacob Degrom and Colin McHugh, both shut down. Tyson Ross, also we expect it to be shut down. Uh, Matt Latos with the bone bruise in the shoulder, so at least it's not like something that sounds structurally serious. Hopefully they're not masking something more serious there, considering that he came into the season with some elbow issues. He has also been shut down. Matt Shoemaker on a playoff team with an oblique strain. Sounds like he's unlikely to pitch again in the regular season, uh, but at least they have things sewn up, and so he could figure prominently into a playoff series for the Halos, surely. Uh, Odrasamer Despagne, one of... Uh, Eno's fantastic streamers from this past weekend against the Giants. He did well with a, with a sort of lat. Is unlikely to make his final start of the season, uh, and he is being replaced in the rotation or in his final start uh, tomorrow on Wednesday by uh, Joe Wyland. Uh, not to be confused with Scott Weiland. Uh, Chris Young is has moved to the Seattle bullpen. Not that anybody should be relying on that guy any, at this point in or in this month anyway. And Taiwan Walker, though. <laughs> that is true, and that is a positive for Taiwan Walker. 
Uh, although I don't like him as a streamer tomorrow, and uh, we'll see how you know, feels about that. Uh, Ubaldo Jimenez, on the other hand, is making a spot start on Tuesday. Another one of those. It'll be at the Yankees. And he actually, I mean, maybe he's a better bet than Hisashi Iwakuma or David Price because they have gone into the toilet. The point is, is that fantasy fantasy owners need streamers at this time of year, and that's something that we've been talking about shortly. But basically, the long and the short of it is well, Iwakuma and Price uh, – Iwakuma, I'm not willing to trust in his final start against the Halos on Friday, even if it's a team that is kind of, uh, you know, kind of on cruise control. Price, on the other hand, he's a different beast, and he has two starts beginning uh, with one of them tonight. Uh, I'm still, uh, obviously, such a great pitcher. I'm starting. Yeah, yeah. I'm starting him. I'm not really worried. I, I was looking at the – basically, I looked at the – real quick. Tons of strikeouts. Yeah, real quick, yeah. The strikeouts are still there. Still looking at the pitch type peripherals. Nothing strikes me. I'm, I'm, I'm interested to see what the issue is. I noticed on the broadcast that a couple of times I've watched his starts and they've talked about how his pitch sequences uh, seem to be. And, you know, this is something that the color guy uh, is going to know more about than I, I'm certainly, I certainly profess to, but the color analyst would say, say, say things like, uh, it's so surprising me that he's continuing to go to this pitch and this pitch and this pitch. So uh, maybe it has an issue. Maybe it's something to do with uh, not being on the same page as the catcher, but I would think that, oftentimes price would be dictating there if it's a guy that he's unfamiliar with. So I, I don't know what the deal is, but I'm still starting him. Iwakuma continues to, uh, he, he continues to concern me and I would not start him, but I just am curious if you know, feels the same way. Obviously he is ready to roll with price. Uh, Iwakuma. Well, I know that they, they preach change up. Uh, so maybe he's, uh, getting used to a, a slightly different, uh, approach. Cause he's definitely throwing more change ups. And so, um, you know, maybe, if he's getting more predictable with the changeup usage, then people are guessing changeup um, and taking him out um, or making hard contact when they shouldn't be. But yeah, I, I'm, I'm not so worried about him. Iwakuma, I did check him up. I, I did uh, tell people to look out for uh, the vertical movement on his stuff. I forget how long ago that was, but um, in the last three starts, he's continued the trend of uh, being flat. So his four seam. Uh, and his sinker have more rise than they than they have in the past. Um, some of the worst numbers of the year um, for his uh, four seam, and uh, his slider actually uh, had the worst uh, vertical break of his of his uh, of this year. Uh, three two starts ago, three starts ago. So, you know, the slider's flat, the sinker's flat, um, and um, even the split's a little flat. So. I don't know what's going on there. There actually could be an issue there, uh, health-wise. And Remember, uh, he had that ligament I, issue in the thumb or finger or something coming in, coming in yeah. that he missed a month, month, like a month and a half. So, not to say that that's and a lot of innings, a lot of innings for a guy that hasn't really averaged a lot of innings over his career. Right. So, you know, he could just be getting tired. I mean, there's something, something there. I don't know what to tell people though because you know he's been so great that. Um, you probably need him, so not me. Uh, I, I, might be just one of those situations we have to swallow hard and, and throw him anyway. Not maybe. me. I, I'd be cutting him loose. I would look for somebody else. I would look for. <laughs> I don't know who it is, but uh, offhand, but we'll, we'll be getting to some options. But I would, I, to me, I would not. I would definitely not trust to throw him. I mean, it's been and because it's, it's consecutive starts that he's been just awful. I guess the encouraging thing is he struck out eight Astros last time out, but I'm pretty sure that I could strike out eight Astros, uh, and he's still still mm-hmm. giving up hard hit balls and. Uh, I mean, I guess to me overall, it doesn't it doesn't look great, uh, but 
In terms of the guys who are shut down, you know, DeGrom uh, is the only one that's close to a keep five, and I don't think he is just no. because I wouldn't probably keep a pitcher in keep five. No. If you're talking keep ten, I think DeGrom and Latos are keep teners. I think Ross and McHugh are just really borderline. They're the kind of guys I feel like you might be able to find again. So, yeah, I wouldn't. I don't think I would keep those guys. They have. They have. I mean, we talked about them in the sense that those are pitchers that the warning signs for long-term success. I mean, the, there yeah. are warning times. But now Ross has even an injury associated right, with him. Right. So, yeah. Uh, Shoemaker is a bad fastball guy with good other stuff. There's another guy I wouldn't keep in a keep ten. So, those guys are all droppable for yeah. me um, in in a keep ten situation. Uh, Despagne is droppable in almost any situation. I think you can. Uh, he's the definition of a streamer for yeah. me. Could you make? Do you think uh, McHugh, Ross, or Shoemaker, any of those guys, uh, not keep fifteen material, or is those? Am I pushing the limits? Yeah, by the time I'm keeping fifteen, I'm probably keeping three, four, three or four pitchers. Yeah. And then if you're telling me that I can, I can keep McHugh as my fourth pitcher. Okay. Yes. Uh, I, I can keep Shoemaker as my fourth pitcher, Ross as my fourth pitcher, maybe. Yeah. Depends a lot about, you know, who my other options yeah. are. But yeah, yeah. I'd say those a little bit more better. I would, McHugh is a definite key 15. Uh, Ross is closer, and then Shoemaker is the least close in a key 15. Fair enough. Yeah, I kind of, yeah, I think I kind of lean the same way. Uh, and so that brings us to it's time to pick some streamers. Uh, who do we like? And we're going to even start with some guys on Tuesday. Jason and I talked a little bit about two start guys on Sunday night, but uh, didn't get real specific uh, other than a few pitchers. And uh, there are a lot of options beginning with Eno's mo- uh, favorite is perhaps uh, Ubaldo Jimenez tonight. Uh, but who else do you like? <laughs> uh, well, you know, I. I... I'm unsure of the ownership rates. So the the two that are closest uh, to 50%, and so therefore maybe not that valuable to talk about because they might you know, be gone on most of your radars, are McCarthy and Salazar. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I love them. So I, would, I don't really have much to say there except, uh, you know, start them if you can. In terms of streamers... Um, you know, the, the one of the more owned guys that I like um, is um, Henderson Alvarez. And I like him a lot because he's playing the Phillies. <laughs> that's always, that's um, always an avenue to success. He's also like, what I like about him also is that he's a very, uh, he's a high floor, low ceiling guy. Yeah. So it seems like worst case scenario, they string together 10 hits and three runs in six innings or something, right? And it's not, not really a big homer outing, and, and, you know, it's just not that great. Uh, but the best-case scenario is he has that power sinker going, um, and he gets a win with three or four Ks in seven innings. You know, not great for your, your K rate, and not great in those K-9 he, leagues. He could but, get six. Uh, or, I think he could get six against the Phillies. Uh, come <laughs> on. I mean, I don't put it past him. My daily streamer, though, that I and this is this guy, you know, I almost like as much as Hendo because um, he's uh, because he's got more strikeout rate. Is Robbie? Yeah, Irwin. I love Erlen in that matchup against at home against Colorado. And I know that the Rockies have done recent decently well against lefties, but 
I just have to think that he turns that a lefty turns around too many of their good hitters. I, I can't imagine that's not um, somehow tied into like which lefties they saw at Coors because um, you know in terms of the, the main hitters, I mean D- Dickerson and Blackman um, are some of their best hitters, and they sometimes don't even play against lefties. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you start looking at that lineup, and it's basically, uh, in terms of right-handed power, I think it's Rosario and um, and Kadire. So Rosario, Rosario, um, uh, for his part, he has been uh, he, he has been quite hot since his return from the disabled list. But that doesn't mean that alone yeah. shouldn't be. Kadire is a decent hitter, but I mean, if that's your your quote unquote three four hitters for the day, and it's in San Diego, right? Um, I'll take it. I think it's more so it's what what they're going to sprinkle around them that you don't even have to be aggressive with them if they show any any sort of yeah, yeah. there's yeah you think Rosario is going to see a strike yeah. <laughs> and then and uh, he's a, he's a chaser anyway so uh, he... the one thing and, and and also if you're in a dynasty league or a keeper league or you're kind of already thinking towards next year the Robbie Erlin start would be uh, instructable instruct instructive to watch I think because. His, uh, his pitch type peripherals are kind. And I told his father like three years ago in spring training that Robbie Erlin was my sleeper that guy, that year. So <laughs> this is uh, almost... I did. <laughs> uh, it was weird. Somehow we knew that the guy was his father. Um, but uh, Robbie Erlin, you know, it's almost like a post-type sleeper situation. I mean, he, he had a little bit more gusto behind him before mm-hmm. when he got traded from Texas. Uh, nice curve. He's always been known to have a nice curve, but from what I look at the numbers, the changeup is good too. So, change, curve, and great command, nice home park. Yeah, the fastball velocity isn't great, but uh, that sounds to me pretty much like a shoemaker situation, you know? Or, you know, I put him in the shoemaker, TJ House, you know, Robbie Erlin, guys that don't, it's 89 90 with the fastball, but either some good deception or good command of that pitch, plus two good other pitches. Yeah. I totally agree. I think uh, so. My last, my question to you all, it would be: I mean, he's this is a guy that people have just kind of been waiting on the wheels to fall off, and he's not, he's not universally owned or anything. But Kyle Hendricks is kind of down the list as far as typically recommended streamers, I would say. Uh, and he has a start at home against St. Louis. Is this a guy you're willing to throw? Because I mean, I think given what I've seen, I mean, I think. Uh, I, I mean, I, I would be willing to start him, I guess. I, I don't see any reason not to. I mean, he has consistently put up the results. He's It does rely on a changeup pretty heavily, but... Uh, he's a weird guy because he, he can actually cut that changeup. So he has, he has two kind of changeups, and he has a cutter that's decent. Um, it's not standout, but uh, the changeup is standout. He's kind of one of these guys, standout pitch with an okay secondary pitch, terrible velocity, but good command. I don't really, I don't know if I, if, I, if, I, uh, if there's a name that stands out for me, but um, uh, the, the projection systems hate him, and it's not the greatest match. Um, you know, St. Louis can go either way. So I think, honestly, I would take Erlin over him, but um, he deserves to be mentioned for sure. Yeah, yeah, I think I would think between Erlin and Hendricks, I would have a tough time, but I would probably lean toward Erlin. Uh, but it could turn out easily to be Hendricks uh, instead, who puts out the better game. And uh, there's really not a, there's really not a lot that's attractive otherwise, unless, like you said, the Salazar and McCarthy's of the world are unowned, in which case you can uh, 
Yeah. Go after one of those. The only other or, name down in the sort of single digits um, that I like is maybe Kyle Gibson uh, at home against Arizona. Uh-huh. Okay. Generally, you pitch better at home. The Arizona lineup, I mean, we had it, we were going to talk about it a little bit, but the Arizona lineup is decimated. Um, I mean, Aaron Hill has problems, but at least he's a pull hitter with power. Uh, now that he's gone, the left side of the infield are all the shortstops that uh, aren't as good as Kevin Towers thought they'd be. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I don't even know who's playing second. Chris Owings, I guess, on a regular basis. And uh, did he. Owings, and then you're playing Jake Lamb at mm-hmm. third, um, who is having trouble making contact. But I have noticed recently Jake Lamb is making a little more contact recently. So, you know, maybe Lamb take goes yard. Uh, but still, I think that's a lineup that Gibson can get through. Uh, and Gibson, actually, the pitch-type peripherals are nice to him. They're actually very intriguing. So I think Gibson will be on some of my sleeper lists. Yeah, I think long-term he's still a pitcher that intrigues me. I uh scooped him up as a reserve last year in labor, and that was way too soon coming off the Tommy John surgery. But uh, I think long-term. He was a little wild. He hadn't really quite figured it out. But this year, his pitching mix is better. I think. Yeah. He's, he's throwing things a little bit in a better mix. and I just wish that they would let him throw the change and slider more. I mean, he, he, throws that, he throws that fastball a lot, and I think he could throw it in left. He could throw it less. But the, the Twins are going to tell him to – Get ground balls and live to fight another day. I guess. Yeah, it's weird that they that I guess he continues to there. That seems to be the mandate because they've they've wanted to focus. They've set at least in some articles I read. I think that that's kind of common knowledge now is that they want to focus more on velocity and less on just strike throwers. But yet they still want them to take the same approach. Which it, it'd be yeah, interesting right. to see. You know, it would be interesting to see them diversify the pitch mix a little more with the interest of actually getting swings and misses a little more often, I would think that that would be a, a decent byproduct uh, or possibility. And, yeah, I mean, I, it was certainly – I mean, I'm, I'm interested to see how Gibson develops uh, as, as far as that goes. Uh, so let's move to Wednesday, I think, and see what uh, if there's anything out there that intrigues us. I know that there are – A lot less sexy on Wednesday. Yeah, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm interested to see what you think. I mean, Walker, to me, at, at Toronto uh, – I mean, I – Toronto is a totally Jekyll and Hyde lineup, but uh, it there's just something the combination of the fact that he's if he's had any kind of problems if it it's been with wildness uh, there are a couple of decent left-handed hitters in that lineup uh, where if it's if he's putting yeah I don't really like yeah, that one yeah if much. he's putting guys on base uh, I, I don't I don't really yeah I, I don't care for that one much at all um, looking at. Joe Weiland's peripherals. I mean, he's not a guy who interests me going for San Diego, even if it is against Colorado. I mean, Diego Dorizzi at Boston is nice, but he's probably he's probably owned. You know, yeah, probably owned. Yeah, and uh, Dylan G at Washington. You know, G's another one of these bad fastball, great changeup, okay slider guys. Um, and you know, if Washington decides to sit some of their stars that day, mm-hmm. you know. That'll work out. Yeah. But um, if they play all their stars, then Washington's lineup looks a little bit better. And then you start worrying about G's homer rate because he's he's definitely a guy who gives up homers. You know, Bauer uh, at case Bauer at home against KC might be my favorite. That, that one fact, seems to stand out game, because of the upside there, right? Yeah, exactly. But also that game in yeah. general, um, it's in Kansas City, which is no, no, nice. In Cleveland. Uh, that's. I mean, in Cleveland, it's still right. okay. Uh, it's still a pitcher's park. The one thing that I, I – and I like Vargas enough to, to recommend both of those yeah. guys. 
The only thing that bothers me is that every time I look at the team stats, I'm always surprised by how well Cleveland has hit. I mean, they, they're the fifth best uh, team in baseball by rated runs created uh, in American League Baseball by weighted runs created. They have not been near, but uh, they, but they have pitch. destroyed right-handed pitching and not been. They have been kind of. They have been uh, subpar against lefties. Oh, well, that is a great split to point out because uh, Vargas. I wonder if Vargas ever has a reverse platoon split since the changeup is his best pitch. But yeah, that's uh, interesting. I don't know. I, have to, I would the, have to check that myself. I will check it in a second. I just want to get that split out, that team split out for you. The Indians are the second worst team in the American League against lefties. Yes. Um, so that's interesting. Um, and uh, did you get a Vargas split? Uh, I'm going to, uh, let's see. In terms of Woba, right handed hitters are a little better. So left handed hitters are. In terms of so that's a traditional. Uh, in terms of yeah, in terms of batting average, they're about the same. But in terms of woba, right-handed hitters are are better. Uh, so it looks okay. like I I saw uh, it. It takes an exceptional change of thrown a lot to to really and to really believe in a reverse platoon split. I mean, you think of like John um, Banks, uh, John. Anyone last check since we're since we're doing one team here. Vargas has a great changeup. The Indians were the second worst team um, against changeups this year by pitch type values. Yeah, you've, you've, so, you've touched on the two, like the two, two of the three guys that I definitely like the most there, and Bauer and Vargas for that day. I th- yeah, and and I'm just talking myself into Vargas a little bit. Although, anyway, I think that might be a two two to one game or something. Mm-hmm. So they might both be useful. Um, I guess if you want the win, you uh, you you go towards Vargas, and if you want strikeouts, you go towards Bauer. Yeah, yeah that's probably, I, uh, I would agree with that too. I mean, there like this is an unattractive day because like to me, like I I think there will be some temptations to stream that day, like that I don't like when we talked about Walker. I continue to get questions about Hector Santiago, who's a guy who I've defended at times, but like I haven't endorsed him at all probably in the last couple of weeks and have been, you know, kind of negative one. I mean, he's, he is wearing down. The velocity is slowly uh, creeping away and he hasn't gone five innings in a start. And I don't know how long, uh, there's just, and, and I mean, I think it's, it's deteriorating wow. and like, he's not getting any breaks. Like he hasn't had any, he hasn't had any skip days or pushback days in the hate lows. I mean, he's certainly not going to be a part of the postseason rotation. So they have no reason to push him back or anything like this that. Right. So he's not a guy I would want to pitch. I mean, he's, there's not even any reason no, to talk I, about. No, I didn't it. even notice this, but you know, uh, since the beginning of uh, September, five innings, four runs; five innings, one run; two innings, three runs; one inning, six runs. I mean, that that's uh, kind of deteriorating. He's only seen 25 batters in his last two starts. So yeah, he's uh, in three innings. Velo so. is down a little bit. There's there's been no. Yeah, uh, and he wasn't that right. good. He's not that. Yeah, he good. was. He went through a good, pretty good stretch right after the All Star break, and it was like if you had him. Thank him for his contribution and move on kind of thing. Uh, and Jeff yeah. Locke, I don't like the matchup for him at Atlanta. Uh, Why is that? Because partially it's because Atlanta's partially it's because Atlanta's had more, um, more a little more success against left-handed pitching. It's a heavy right-handed lineup, but I think I, I think yeah. like I, I like Locke. He is he's a good pitcher. Yeah. Um, he's had a little more success, especially peripherally at home, though. 
And it's like, I can't help but wonder if there's a little bit like, he's certainly, he's certainly no better than fourth on my list behind a Bauer Vargas and, uh, oh, and, and Shane Green actually kind of like this on this day. Um, and it's because, uh, I mean, I can't help but wonder if there's not going to be some kind of emotional response to what's going on in Atlanta, but there's no way to quantify that or that's just kind of like a speculation. Um, but be interesting to see. Despagne, home against Colorado. No, no, that's, remember, he's done, so it's Joe Weiland. Oh, that was Joe Weiland, right. right. Boo. Yeah. Um, the, the deep, deep league, guys, I don't know if we really need to call anybody deep league because, well, so far we haven't talked about a guy who's like 0 to 5% owned. I, 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 like, um, I do like green. I think it's a decent matchup. You like yeah, green. because, I mean, Baltimore is, they seem to kind of put it on cruise control. They haven't, they haven't scored a lot of runs since they've clinched that division. And, and they've lost some. They've lost some big boppers in that lineup over time. Yeah. So, um, the uh, another down uh, list guy. I actually like this guy, and it's going to upset you greatly. Uh, Luis Alberto Bonilla. Uh, <laughs> it's, it doesn't upset me too much. He was traded away from Michael Young, man. <laughs> That's a Phillies prospect who has a 93 mile an hour fastball, a beautiful changeup, and a decent curve. Um, and, uh, you got Michael Young. Yeah. Well, I, uh, you know what? And all things, but all things considered, I didn't, I didn't mind that trade for Michael Young. I thought that was actually because they got Michael Young and they only had to pay him like $6 million per year over the course of two years. Uh, and he had a ridiculous extension from Texas at the time. So, you know, I was like, okay, twelve million or six, or maybe no, it was the final year of his contract. I'm like, okay, I can live with six million dollars to see if Michael Young can rebound from what it, what was an awful season. Uh, if it's a team that is trying to hang on to respectability, uh, well, what didn't they trade for him when like they had like a three percent chance of the postseason or something? Uh, it was an it was an all I mean, season were... move. So I mean, it was it was it was uh, purely like a hey. This is a this is one last this is our acquisition. right this is our last stab at and it, but I mean again then they did that again this past winter with a Marlon Burr signing I think I, they don't know when to let go I mean that's that's clear it's certainly <laughs> clear. yeah and Bonilla I mean I guess he could end up hurting but uh, you know I mean it's like that's a, pitchers like that I think it's like it's okay to take chances with I mean that's a super deep league yeah. uh, he, guy. He, American League only he could be know. interesting I actually liked him quite a bit against the Angels. Uh, this past Friday, I thought that the I thought the Rangers were ripe to pick pick off the Angels this past Friday, and they dominated them. And he he, he pitched a decent game in that one. I think he yeah, it struck out Trout on one of those beautiful changeups. Uh, got it in my piece uh, if you want to check it out. But uh, it's a nice changeup, and he flies way open, so it's Danksian. So if the curve can stick around, it's called a slider in some places, but it has four or five inches of drop. So I think it's a curve. Um, and uh, otherwise, I would, you know, like, uh, do not do Johan Flande, <laughs> I think, uh, even though he's in San Diego. Do not do Vidal Nuno, even though he's in Minnesota. I mean, those are bad pitchers. And, and I tried to look at Corsino, um, and I, all I saw was a fastball slider, and they weren't even that great. So uh, against Milwaukee, that one worries me. Um, Hand against Philly. Yeah, I think we can move yeah. on to Thursday. Yeah, definitely. And there's some interesting names. We've talked uh, kind of the name that comes out at the top of like 
typically own like uh, highly owned pitchers slashed uh, also available. I mean, Ismir Petit, we'd already talked about him previous, and he, he his start wasn't too bad. I mean, all things considered, in his last one, but we were we were pretty high on him for Saturday start, and it didn't go quite as hoped. But it's not. I don't think there's any more any less reason to dislike him. Uh, part of it was he. I mean, he only went five and a third innings, and I think he gave up some uh, some unearned runs. And so that that certainly contributes to a poor outing. But uh... yeah, I mean the 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 mostly the like mostly owned guys that are that show up on my list are Quintana, Petit, and Hamill. Yeah. Uh, Quintana and Petit, I got no problem. Uh, Hamill, it's at Texas. He hasn't been pitching that well. Texas is hitting well lately. I think I think, I think that could be a big bust. I, I would try to stay with. I'd rather do Kevin Gossman has owned almost half as much as Hamill. And I'd rather have Gossman against the Yankees. I think that one's a nice one, actually. See, that would concerns me because only because I wonder how deep are they going to let him go. Um, they might be gearing him up for like this could be like a three or four inning start as they gear him up to be like the fifth guy slash bullpen guy in the playoffs. Uh-huh. That's it makes sense. Well, no, I think in that case course, you would. It, yeah, uh, it'll be it'll be like four or five days. Let him throw. Yeah, you might as well. Yeah, I mean, you kind of want to build innings to That's keep true. him. Building for 200 innings next year That's or whatever. True. Definitely true. Um, and then when you when you go down uh, down list on on Thursday, you get in some real trouble. Yeah. I, I will point uh, uh, the Volquez ownership. I mean, I'm surprised at that figure. I guess, I'm, but I mean, I would love the start for him. Otherwise, like I think, like I would love that start for him in at Atlanta. He's he's in a groove, I think, and there's this combination of the fact that like Atlanta is just worse against right-handers, if I'm not mistaken. So. I, I like that one. I'm I'm surprised at the ownership figure, though. That seems like a no-brainer. But you were saying about the they can have trouble with the strikeout sometimes, and he's a strikeout guy when he's going yeah. good. Uh, Kohler uh, at home against Philly uh, seems like a little bit deeper league, more like a 15-team mixed league uh, pickup. Uh, and on the same token, by the same token, do you like Buchanan again this week? He he he. Uh... First of all, uh, he had a quality start against Oakland, I think, uh, on Friday when, was, uh, when you were talking about him and recommended him. It was a solid – I think he ended up being a solid player that day. Uh, I, I think he yeah, took – Yeah, I mean, he's got a – Took a yeah. loss, but I, th- I think it's because he went up against John Lester or somebody like that. Yeah, he uh, six strikeouts, two walks, and 6.2 innings, uh, six hits. Yeah, that's, that's nice. That's, that's a good day. Yeah. Especially considering he was in an AL park and now – this time he gets to go to an NL park and uh, be in Miami. In fact, you know I might like him a little bit more than Kohler because I think he probably has more strikeout ups. Yeah, I would agree with that. I would agree with that definitely. That's a Stantonless. Uh, that's a Stantonless lineup. Uh, you may not get. You know the wind is always up in the air. I I am surprised though. Sometimes the Marlins have been able to score some runs even without Stanton. I mean, I, I thought. They'd be a good matchup against the um, Mets in a couple outings, and then I think they took G. They they took like six runs off of G, and I I was uh, sort of surprised by that. But Colby Lewis against Oakland bothers me. Um, Holmberg against Milwaukee, nope. Alan Webster might be my deep league pick if we're talking uh, uh, less than five percent owned, uh, other than Buchanan. The only other name that comes up is Alan Webster. You know, Tampa Bay is not a cakewalk. Uh, but um, they're middle of the pack in offense, and uh, we know that Webster uh, has the stuff. We just don't know about the command. So, uh, so yeah, deep leaguers, Webster and Buchanan, uh, shallow leaguers, Petit and Quintana, 
And in between, we need like Gossman, Volquez, Kohler. Yeah, yeah. Oh my God. I think, yeah, I think that's fair. I think, uh, yeah, and, and we could put, we were maybe, maybe closer. Well, I guess we could say when we talked about possibly putting Buchanan ahead of uh, uh, Kohler, but it's, uh, yeah, there's some debate there. I, but I think, yeah, overall, I, I, I like that list. That's another one of those kind it's, of Vargas uh, on a lower level. It's a, it's a Vargas uh, uh, Bauer matchup, in which case I think that'll be a, a low scoring yeah, game. Yeah, definitely. All right. Well, uh, I'm off to uh, talk to um, the Angels and A's, probably. Very nice. Oh, it looks like some bright, late breaking news. Mike Miner uh, shut down. Uh, that's uh, not breaking probably, my heart. Uh, shoulder discomfort. One more guy that makes you want to uh, j- jump for one of our streaming recommendations. That means David Hale is going to go up against Volquez. Um, Hale has some stuff going for him. I might put him on that very deep league yes. list. Um, probably Hale above Webster just because Hale has a little more control. Webster's crazy, crazy wild. Yeah, I would agree with that too. I like, uh, I like most. I've said before, I like most guys more than Webster just because I have a little faith that he shrinks it together and he won't start. But the stuff, the stuff is there if he can harness that. There's no question. All yeah. right, and then uh, uh, hopefully. I'll have a really funny uh, piece up on Fangraphs tomorrow. I hope you guys read it. Um, I talked to Brandon Moss, and Adam Dunn interjected in, in some key parts uh, during the conversation. Ruben Amaro was involved. Uh-oh. Oh, gosh. Uh, salty, salty language, uh, heat maps, uh, charts, tables. And the big donkey. Uh, and uh, Yeah, big donkey, uh, straight-facing um, some jokes. <laughs> And uh, and Brandon Moss admitting that he's a total sabermetrics nerd and a Fangraphs guy, um, things that I was surprised to learn. So I have to actually partially go into the park today to make sure you- that I can print all this salty language. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Well, I'd be looking forward to reading. I think everybody should. And uh, how else do you think Moss turned his career around? That he he had to, he had to be reading Fangraphs. <laughs> you know, I mean, this guy. Well, he, he said uh, he actually said as much as uh, Pittsburgh and Boston tried to close him up and make him a, a slap hitter, and that didn't work for him. Um, he said in the end, it was a Pittsburgh, the, the current Pittsburgh hitting coach, uh, that told him just to open up and and uh, and become a slugger again. And um, he he found his way a little bit in Pittsburgh, and then he really mashed in the Philly system. Um, and then Ruben Amaro said he couldn't hit a fastball. <laughs> Um, so, uh, Ruben Amaro let him go and, um, the A's, uh, the A's picked up and, and refined some of his, um, play discipline, I, I would think is how he put it. Um, but, uh, you know, he's in, he's in a slump. So we talked mostly about the slump and about what it's like to go through that and the different decisions he makes during that. But, uh, it was such a funny conversation that I'm mostly just leaving it alone. Um, as long as uh, I get approval for everything. Outstanding. So. Yeah, I think that sounds like a. It's yeah, it's going to be a good excellent, one. Excellent, excellent. We're looking forward to yeah. that. Well, and uh, thanks for listening, everybody. It's been a great season. I hope uh, we'll we'll uh, we'll help you out with some weekend streamers on Friday, and you know we'll do we'll, we're going to slow down a little bit in terms of uh, the pace of the podcast. The coming out, we'll probably um, start looking at some keeper decisions uh, during the playoffs, and. Um, 
And uh, we just wanted to thank you guys for, for listening all season. And I think related to that, I don't think it ever hurts to have ideas for keeper decisions. So maybe if you're, if you, if, uh, if you know, wants to back me up on that, if he, if he thinks I'm totally off base there, he can say, wow, dude, that was a really stupid idea. Uh, but yeah, if you're having something that you view as a true quandary coming up this winter, uh, and you know, gives us an idea of something to examine, or pers- perhaps even a perspective yeah. of a keeper decision that we probably don't usually wait. Because we, you know, we did some things such as like droppable keepers in the last show, and uh, it's you know, we just did some rough guidelines. But there's certainly always uh, aspects of it that we could look at that we perhaps didn't before, and we'll definitely take a look at keepers in general. So that should be some exciting stuff. Yeah. That's the time to ask us. Uh, the keeper stuff is, is a perfect time to do that. And uh, we'll be able to, uh, I think, you know, and I think keeper decisions are, are one of those times when you can talk about somebody's specific team and actually give value to other people because uh, either they're, they're looking at the same keeper decisions or they're saying, oh, wow, it looks like this guy's overvalued or undervalued, and either I have him or I can go get him. Right. So, um, you know, it, and if you're sticking with us and uh, listening to us during uh, the, the playoffs, um, then you deserve uh, for us to talk about your fans. And, <laughs> and, and uh, yeah, I, I totally agree. Thank you all for listening. Uh, and again, that has been Eno Saris. I am Nicholas Minix. Thank you all for joining us again for episode number 169 of The Sleeper and the Bust.